0: Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety
1: Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Adelman. And
0: today we're going to
1: talk insurance. Insurance, yay! <laughs> because what what could be more fun than talking about insurance when we have nothing else to worry about?
0: You know, the last time we talked about insurance, I was completely apathetic at the beginning, because I was like, I really didn't understand. What, but at the end, I was like, okay, no, I get it. This is cool. So I'm excited about today's interns thing from last time.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that I'm excited about the subject matter, but I am excited about our smart friends we who got are joining great us guests. today. <laughs> we do. We, we, you know, with the Event Safety Alliance and, and, you know, we're lucky we have smart friends. And for more challenging subjects or you know, where there are lots of areas where one can fall into a rabbit hole or a weed patch and get stuck there forever, it's really important to have folks who know what they're talking about and can explain it in a way that, well, the rest of us who are not insurance professionals can understand. So with that, I am pleased to introduce our guests for today. Um, Peter Tempkins, retired from Hub, and I gotta tell you, he's looking relaxed. And available for consulting gigs. So, our good friend Peter Temkins and Rochelle Broder Wayne, who is the director at Real Media Insurance Services, also a good friend, recently recovered from some severe technological problems. So, Rochelle will be looking and sounding great. Um, Yeah, guys, the, the, the inside
0: joke there is this is the second time we've tried to record this. The first time we're like, this isn't going to work. Let's try again with new gear.
1: <laughs> no, Rochelle sounded so like we're she
0: delighted was delighted.
1: Deep in a submerged it. submarine. Uh, this will be better. So let's tee off the conversation. Um, in the last several months of event safety podcasts, we've been discussing various challenges involved in getting events back on track as we, you know, tentatively, haltingly emerge from this pandemic which we understand is not the same everywhere not the same for everyone so you know gentle podcast listener don't don't think for a moment that we're make, making assumptions about what is right or good for you we know that everyone gets to choose their own adventure here as you know this is a, a strange moment in time as well as for event professionals anyway As the industry gets back up to speed, we've talked about a whole bunch of challenges on the professional side, such as there's a massive labor shortage, which means there's a big brain drain. Um, There's a loss of experience. Now we have to train up a bunch of people who are recently entering into our industry. Those of us who have made it from one side of the pandemic to this point, we're kind of rusty. Bringing our A-game is a challenge. And so, you know, we're not 100% yet either. On the other side of this fabulous coin, um, our audiences are, let's be kind and just say that they're more active than perhaps they were before the pandemic. they're also rusty. They have forgotten things like some basic interpersonal cues. Let's let's not you know, call anyone out. Let's just note that audience management presents challenges. Some are the same, but many are exacerbated from the before times.
0: And we've also gone from a, a time period of no or little or strange work to, oh my gosh, way too much work with way too few resources, be they people or gear or time, um, which, you know, all is part of a risk assessment. So that takes us back to insurance.
1: (laughs) And so enter the insurers. So let me tee up the first issue this way. so, you know, having listed a preliminary parade of horribles, one of the things that we have heard, you know, we at the event safety alliance have heard over the years, are hopeful comments to the effect of, "If I do well at my events, if I have what insurance people refer to as a good claims history, which I will ask you folks to define for us, um, if I have a good claims history." that will have a positive effect on my premiums that we pay for insurance, won't it? Um, Peter Tempkins, Rochelle Wayne, who wants to address the relationship between a claims history, whatever that is, and premiums? Well,
2: I think first of all, it's a huge fallacy. This was a rumor that was started several years ago regarding if you belong to certain organizations, if you had certain um, uh, initials or titles after your name, or your company had them, um, if you had no losses, you would get discounts or lower premiums. Uh, there were a bunch of us, Rochelle and I included, who was saying to people, no, it's a fallacy. This was pre-COVID. Right about the time COVID was starting, we were entering a hard market for insurance. The last time we had a hard market was 30 years ago. So since COVID, rates have gone up. Carriers now, as a generalization, are looking at whatever you want to call them, loss runs or claims history with a lot more um, microscopic eye-opening events.
1: So Peter, let me just break in for a second. Over the last two years, everyone has a great claims history, right? Because there haven't been events. Well,
2: some people have, some people haven't, but typically carriers like to see three to five years of loss runs, sometimes even more. Besides looking at the losses, they're also looking at frequency, you know? So you could have had, you know, maybe, again, I'm making up numbers for discussion purposes. If you had one $10,000 claim, maybe the carrier won't do anything. But if you had 10 $1,000 claims, over the course of a year or two years, they're going to say there's a, you know there's a lot of frequency. So
0: there's a pattern there.
2: Right. We get nervous over this. Um, also, the fact and Steve, you brought up a good point. You know, people who didn't work for two years. You know, well, they have a great claims history. They had no claims. A lot of them didn't have insurance either. So when they came back to the marketplace. A lot of and carriers have contracted uh, in certain areas. Carriers have reduced their capacity on the limits they'll put out for liability and umbrellas. Uh, pricing has gone up, and they're saying is, "What did you do during the hiatus, and now you're coming back and you're rusty?" So you may be worse of a risk than had you had one or two minor claims. Uh, So as I say, carriers are looking at claims more and more. So besides frequency, they're looking at limits of claims. What caused the claim?
0: Sorry. Again, I'm an insurance neophyte. What's a limit of a claim?
1: Well, Peter, dumb it down for us for (laughs) goodness sake.
0: (laughs) No, this is, you know, I'm curious. I don't, I literally, I don't know what we're talking
1: about. Typical liability policy.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: That most people carry. I'm not talking about if they carry umbrella limits. Right. They have a million dollar policy. Now, right now, most policies, and Steve is well versed in this, where well, there's a million dollars to pay claims, in most policies, there's unlimited uh, capacity for legal defense. Ah, okay. All right?
1: Yep. That and, may be and the re-
2: changing so, going forward.
1: Oh, that's hellish. So podcast listeners, let me break that down for you really quickly. Um, so Peter brings up the example of a million dollar policy. Currently, that million dollars is all available to cover a claim. It would be a bad thing if the cost of your legal defense came out of the amount of coverage that you have available to cover a claim. So your million dollars suddenly become not a million, but rather something less than that, because lawyers are expensive. So now, in addition to all of the other pressure that one might feel, to resolve a claim, now you also have to worry that the longer your claim goes on, the less coverage you have because it's going into your lawyer's pocket rather than sticking around to help you resolve some kind of legal dispute. And then,
2: then, sorry, Daniel, to finish off your question, if a client has a large claim or before the claim, you know, gets settled, the insurance companies say, we're reserving this at X. So when you get the loss run or the claims history, that reserve will be there. And if it's a big reserve, come renewal, the carrier may say, no, we don't want to renew it. Now, ultimately, if it gets settled for a much lower number, they may revisit that. But if you miss the renewal and you can't get the insurance somewhere else, the client is, you know, in big trouble.
3: Well, and I I think with the larger claims, too, it's the the carriers do look at what the claim is, Um, that they are actually reading it. They're not just reading the numbers. So was it completely an accident? One of your folks was out on the road and got in a car accident that was not their fault. That's going to be looked at differently than, to Peter's point, a frequency of small losses, but that sort of look like they stem from the same thing. So that starts showing a pattern. And from the carrier's viewpoint, kind of a disregard for certain things. So they're going to look at the overall behavior of the insured. You know, they're not going to necessarily knock you out because of something that wasn't your fault. Uh, There are certain things where they'll look at it more closely, um, like auto can be a tough one if there's a lot of auto claims just because it, it starts being difficult for them to justify writing it if there's three or four auto accidents every year that start ticking up the numbers. So they are
0: looking at what those claims are, not just the numbers. And I think that's an important distinction. So not just patterns, but context and specifics.
2: Yeah, Danielle, like yeah,
3: Particularly when you see that one large loss, you'll, you'll see them looking at, okay, what happened? Like really what happened?
2: Yeah, Danielle, I can tell everybody that, that Steve was involved in both of these uh, or is involved in both of these. I had a claim years ago um, that was a seven-digit claim that didn't affect the client's insurance. It was also an event that helped start the ESA. Uh, and then there's another claim from an ex-client of mine that it's a sizable reserve and pretty much no carrier wanted to write his renewal. So th- they look at, as I say, patterns, frequency. As Rochelle said, what caused the claim?
0: So it's not a cookie cutter thing. It's no. it's not it's not tick boxing. You have X number of claims, and then this happens. It's it's much more nuanced.
2: Right,
3: right. And even that's so good to know. Even in the one line of coverage, um, which is workers' compensation, where in a lot of cases there is some correlation. Um, there's they they look at you versus the industry average those formulas are incredibly complex and incredibly nuanced. And as far as I know, there's 11 different formulas that cover 40 states. <laughs> yeah,
0: that, so that sounds horrifying. So, it, so it my eyes horrifying. are crossing. So oh, that's I, fine. <laughs> that's about
3: all I'm going to be able to tell you on that front. But, but even in those cases, because of the way the formulas are written, there's nuance to it. So you can't just say most people in your industry have five claims, you had six, so you're paying more or the converse of that, that's, even the formulas are are complicated and nuanced.
1: So let's try to keep this simple enough so that it makes sense in a podcast context. Um, So the first question that I asked was, is there a direct correlation between, you know, a positive claims history, so few losses and lower premiums? Sounds like the answer is It depends, um, but the insurance people actually look at the nature of the loss and the frequency, you know, among other factors. Is that more or less right?
2: Yeah, but I think, and Michelle, you can probably verify this also, is in the last year and a half, Steve, I haven't seen any rates going backwards. You could have have a 40-year great claims history. Your rates are not going down.
0: Well, that matches my grocery bill as well. So I think that's yeah. <laughs> uh, so, not so unexpected.
1: <laughs> so let's address the other side of that same issue. Um, if there is you know, one loss, let's say it's a, a significant one. Um, and by a loss, what we mean is something happens and someone has to make a claim to their insurer for coverage if there is one, does that mean, oh my God, they're not gonna be insurable anymore or does it mean something else? I think it's back to the, it depends. And, and Rochelle, what what would it depend on? The same things that we just discussed, frequency, magnitude, You know, how does it relate to the rest of the industry, those sorts of factors? Yes, I, I would very simply say yes. Well,
2: Stephen, the two examples I gave you, I'm sorry, I gave the podcast, they were both single events. One, it didn't affect the client's insurance come renewal, but the other one, it did dramatically.
1: Okay, yeah, that's clear as mud. Well, welcome <laughs> to the world of insurance.
3: I think Peter and I can both think of equal numbers of large claims in our several years of doing this where it hasn't impacted because there was absolutely nothing that could have been done or where it has impacted because there was some sort of a clear correlation between what the client did and the claim. And then there's every bit of spectrum in between.
1: So let me let me just clarify that point, Rochelle, because I think it's really important for listeners to understand. The insurer, so, so in the context of a large loss, which is what we're talking about right now, the insurer will do its own analysis of the claim to try to determine for itself whether their insured was at fault or not?
3: I don't think at fault, and maybe that's something that I should restate.
1: um, Yeah, clarify this, because it's potentially important.
3: Well, and it's it's not so much a fault as what caused it. Like I said, one of the one of the worst claims I ever had was somebody was running an errand for their employer and they got hit by a wrong way driver. It was really bad. There was absolutely nothing that the client did that caused it, that could have stopped it. It did not count. So, it's those kinds of things versus Back to kind of the frequency things, did we see a lot of little things that led up to this big thing? So I, that's what we're saying. It's, it's a more complicated analysis. And I, I don't, I, I just don't think it's something that can be answered that quite that simply as to X equals Y, it's not going to play out that way.
0: I mean, I could put this in production terms very easily. It's like, Please. What, how, how do you, how do you rig that thing? What do you use to put that thing in the air? It depends. It depends mm-hmm. on a lot of things. Is it moving? Is Are you inside, outside? What are you rigging it to? I mean, it's it's the same sort of thing. The variables are extensive and there is no one answer mm-hmm. to how it shakes out. And you really need to know what you're doing uh, so that you don't kill people and end up with an insurance claim.
2: But I Fair. think also <laughs> a lot of times it has to do with, like Rochelle said, the circumstances, years ago, I had a client and we noticed there were a whole bunch of claims that kept popping up on Wednesdays. And it was tr- it was people getting hurt on ladders. So long conversation with the client, we dug deeper and it turned out they were doing training sessions on Wednesday. And when they examined the ladders, once we saw all these claims, they immediately threw out all the ladders because the steps had been worn down a little bit or bent a little bit or whatever. They threw all the ladders out. They went out and bought all new ladders, and we gave all that information to the carrier and it didn't affect their loss history or their... And Steve, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. On workers' comp, there's a thing called an experience mod. Like Michelle said, 14 different you know, That's
3: the formula that I was talking Sorry. about. Don't do
2: it. No, I'm not <laughs> that. The carrier went okay. That we they caught the problem. They solved it. You know, we're not gonna we're gonna raise their rates a little bit, but not what they could have. Um, so I think a lot of it also is, like Rochelle said, and I've said, it's frequency, but it's also what's causing it
1: let's turn to a related topic, which is essentially the role of the insurer relative to their insured. So, And
0: I have to tell you, I'm very excited to hear the answers to these questions.
1: Yeah, so preface, it's always good to contextualize a question so you know why I'm asking this stuff. Um, what I often think of is that the insurer is essentially like a, a partner, an outside partner to be sure, but you know, somebody who is invested in our success. You know, if, if we do our business well, if we engage in safe practices, the insurer is happy or at least not unhappy. Um, and therefore we don't get jacked around too much on our premiums, we do get renewed. Um, this is good, so our safe practices yield happy insurers that's the way i think about it but my question really is is that accurate um so this is sort of a myths and facts podcast is it <laughs> accurate that you know the insurer is you know sort of a cheerleader for us encouraging us you know do go team your, events right go team <laughs> events you know get your staff trained um have them engage in safe practices. Yay, you know, get the insurer pom-poms out. Or is the model more punitive where the insurer kind of steps back, says, "Well, you know, you do you." And then if things go sideways, you know, the insurer is wagging their fingers saying, "You suck, you didn't do things safely." What's closer to the reality? Go, Rochelle. <laughs> I, I was waiting to see if Peter was gonna talk. No, um, no, no.
2: I'm letting uh, you take the first shot at this. Awesome.
3: I honestly I, I think in general, I think your first assessment, which is Go Team Events, which includes team insurance, is is closer to the reality of it. There are a lot of different insurance companies out there. And that's where it starts becoming important who you choose as your business partner. So there are going to be very commoditized online quick what, what, was what that? does
1: commoditized
3: mean for <laughs> shelterway okay maybe we maybe we restate this one there there's going to be there're definitely insurers that are the cheerleaders that are very involved and that's it does start becoming important who your who your business partner is at that point um, a lot of insurance companies have lost control people who are out there to go out and take a look and walk through things with you and help you. And I think all of those things become very important. So it's not just about the piece of paper to get you into the venue or wherever it is you need to be. It's about who's behind that piece of paper. And that, that can vary greatly at that point. So it's, you know, much like anything else, there's, there's choices and those choices are different and they bring different things
2: to the table.
0: So I'm gonna use the old movie reference, choose, choose wisely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, pre-COVID, I think a lot of the carriers for the most part took almost, you know, a sit back They would be a little proactive on things, but they relied on the brokers to be more of the advocate. Post-COVID, the carriers are being more proactive. Um, They're really looking, a lot of the carriers now are looking and stressing the word partnership with the brokers they're dealing with. So I think that's changing. I think because of not only COVID, but the all the carriers and all the brokers are understaffed right now, but they also are under a microscope more and management is looking at especially entertainment with a much harder look.
0: So, so Peter, you know, just help me clarify here. What's the difference between a carrier and a broker? And as, as an event person, what's my relationship with either or both of them?
2: Well, I was a broker. And you're
0: awesome, but that doesn't help me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I am, I'm getting into it. Okay, cool. I represent my clients. All right. Um, And I would go to insurance companies, carriers, Um, or in Michelle's case, an MGA or an MGU, uh, which is a Duh. managing general agent <laughs> or a managing general underwriter. There are some okay. carriers brokers can't go to directly. They have to go to an intermediary.
0: Okay, so so the let's say I'm putting on Dolly Dinkle's dance festival, hooray, go me. I don't produce events like that, so that's fine and I need insurance to go to the venue. I need to give them my certificate of liability that lists them as additional insured. I call Peter and I say, hey, I'm doing Dolly Deacle Dance Festival. I need insurance. And then you go and you talk to...
2: I could talk to Rochelle or I could talk to...
0: Whoever you have relationships with to get the correct coverage.
2: And the correct quote.
0: And the correct quote, because you have an understanding of what I'm doing and Rochelle may not, and you're the intermediary that, that translates between the two of us.
2: Well, no, because whatever carriers that I'm going to, they have people who understand entertainment.
0: So okay, instance, so, so, it's, entertainment. so it's more like, it's more like I'm buying a car from a car dealer and not from the Ford plant. I have a Honda, from the Honda plant exactly (laughs) okay cool all right back to our regular scheduled program
2: (laughs) for instance when david cloward was at allianz
0: and david cloward's one of the members of the esa board
2: and i got a phone call to work on a new festival i would call david if, if i felt he was the right carrier for the event and negotiate the insurance with
1: them. Okay. Is there a reason that our podcast listeners should be looking for insurers that specialize in live events? And when I say insurers, should the word really be insurance carriers?
2: In my opinion, yes. Why? Because... Sometimes the way you phrase things, certain carriers will write them without knowing what they're really writing.
1: Meaning they don't understand the risks that are particular to live event productions.
2: Correct. And then what happens is, you know, we, we always jokingly refer to them as one and done. The minute, you know, the minute the claim came in, they would do, you know, as I call it, the Macaulay Culkin face.
1: Yeah. You know. we, you know. we podcast listeners, we all just <laughs> made <is> <laughs> just made the face from Home Alone. Right. Except Rochelle did. Is that Rochelle's like, no, no. Ro- Rochelle's <laughs> poker faced.
2: Right. Uh, and then, the, you know, after the claim got settled, the notice of cancellation would go out shortly after that, going, oh, we didn't know we were really writing this.
3: And then you're suddenly looking
2: for coverage with a claim, a claims history. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, my advice to clients has always been go to brokers who understand it, who can walk the walk and talk the talk, and go to carriers that can walk the walk and talk the talk.
3: Well, and I think the other fear with not doing that is that somebody's going to miss something along the chain. So the client's not going to be protected in the way that they think they are in in certain instances, because there's a nuance that somebody wasn't aware of. They didn't think about from an insurance standpoint. So like with any industry, a lot of times, it's better to go to the people who know.
2: Right. I mean, you know, and Steve, Steve, you'll probably understand this a little deeper. Uh, There was a broker out there that was selling coverage to what I call the well, Michelle and I have always referred to as tchotchke vendors, you know, t-shirts, beads, candles. Merch. It, right? <laughs> yeah. No, little, we little merch. Tchotchkes.
0: Yeah, tchotchkes. Um,
2: <laughs> And he had a great cheap product, except he didn't offer products to completed operations.
1: What? What is that?
2: products would be what he's selling or what she is selling. So they had liability insurance that the tent fell down on somebody. They had coverage of the table flipped over on somebody. But if the product caused an injury, they'd have no coverage.
1: Yeah. And and podcast listeners, the reason that this is important, the reason that I wanted to, ask something which I suspect many of you figured was rhetorical is number one, we do work in a rather specialized industry with risks that your average, you know, insurance professional off the street may not be sensitive to. And um, Peter and Rochelle check me on this. In my experience, insurance contracts are really hard to read. And I don't do it for a living, but on a fairly regular basis, an insurance contract is put on my desk or on my computer, and I have to struggle through it, and it's damn hard. So you, podcast listeners who are seeking insurance, probably would not understand the nuances, you know, what Rochelle referred to as getting into the weeds, and then the weeds have weeds, Um you wouldn't know whether you have the sort of coverage that Peter Temkin's just described. And you have to rely on your insurance professional knowing what you need. And, you know, someone like you, Rochelle, you're in a better position to know because this is what you deal with for a living, isn't it? It is. (coughs) So let's Segue to one last related point, um, you know, still on the subject of why a more specialized insurer can provide some additional value here. Uh, Peter, this is directed to you because this is something that you and I have shared. I have been on many festival sites where I've had the pleasure of seeing Peter Temkins, an insurance guy on a festival site, walking around who knows people and understands what's going on. Peter, why were you spending so much time on festival sites? How was that part of your job? Or was it part of your job?
2: Well, I always took the attitude, the more I knew, the more I understood, the better I could explain things to carriers. And then also when Either something happened or we needed to get something done, I had a better understanding. Because one of the biggest problems in our industry, or my former industry, whether it's insurance <laughs> or entertainment, is people use the wrong words. Yeah And my two greatest examples of this are, you know, when a band says, "We do pyro." Well, the band doesn't really do the pyro. They're hiring a
0: party
2: (laughs) vendor who knows how to do pyro. You know, I don't see the band running back and forth with a cigar lighting all the pyro to set it off.
1: Our friend Brian Panther is cringing if he's listening to this right now.
2: (laughs) Right, and then the other thing, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought.
1: So, Peter, when I see you on a festival site, are you performing the role that Rochelle referred to as a loss control person? Because you already said that you are the broker in this equation. When you're on a festival site, you are representing the broker. But are you doing so in the particular role of a loss control person or are you doing something else?
2: I'm kind of a hybrid, Steve. When I'm there, I... I'll point out things to the client, um, you know, and we may have a discussion on why they should or shouldn't change it. As I've always said, unless it's a matter of life and death, I'll never come down with the full weight. It'll be, you know, suggestions, you know, uh, that cable is too low, those cables aren't covered, you know, things of that nature. You know, uh, the entrance lanes aren't wide enough, can you make them a little bit bigger? Can you put up some better signage? Uh, It's a lot of little things like that. Uh, And then a lot of times the insurance companies send out loss control people. And I find it easier if I'm walking around with them, having a discussion than just setting them free and worrying what they're going to say or not say. I'd rather deal with an issue, if I can, why I'm there than three days after the event.
0: So, Rochelle, do you have um, a take on that same thing, like the level of involvement of both the broker and the carrier? I, and this may be the fact that i worked
3: with Peter, for a very long time, I also went to a lot of my event sites, so I'm going to say that's a good idea. Um,
0: and <laughs> you guys a lo- a are there with of, the pom-poms?
3: Yeah, and a, lo- a lot of times that's just about, you know, when you're in the middle of your event, there, there may be something from a higher you know, 360 view of somebody who's not in the middle of that, we go, hey, you know, this this little thing over here could be a big deal. Can somebody just handle that quick? And it's, it can be just a different perspective sometimes, because you're not worried about every little thing that's happening at the event from that standpoint, the same way as the event producer is going to be. So sometimes it's just being able to walk around and see what's going on and say, okay, this this might need a little fixing or a little bit of help. So it's it's not the same role as the the risk or loss control folks from the carrier. It's it it definitely helps you understand though and it helps you understand the layout and the site so when somebody says I'm going from point A to point B you know what that means and and you know what's in between
1: which can be important
3: mm-hmm. so when you
1: know th- this is a question for you guys because I'm trying we're trying to educate our podcast listeners here about what's even an option for them can they say to their insurance broker hey i like the idea of a rochelle or a peter walking around our site because they have fresh eyes and they don't actually have any you know operational responsibilities so they can help us you know mitigate risks that we're just too busy to see i want someone like that can an insured say that to their broker without the broker just you know laughing and falling to the ground and i know a lot of brokers who go out to sites it's not
3: unheard of um i do think though to reiterate the point steve that you made earlier it is not the same as loss control or risk control from the carrier it is a very different thing it's really to get that broad understanding of what the heck is going on out there
0: so um guys, if you've got questions about any of this, you can email us at podcast and Um, I think we will put some of our insurance links in the show notes that we have on the ESA website. And of course we are happy to put you in, in touch with either Rochelle or Peter, if you have specific questions for them. Um, I, I always find these, these things that are outside of my normal day-to-day responsibilities incredibly enlightening. So, thank you guys very, very much for uh, <laughs> for for joining us today. Um, Steve, any?
1: Yeah, my my final thought is it's useful to recognize that there are things that are completely outside of our skill set or life experience. Um, insurance for me is one of them, and you know, for you, gentle podcast listener, it's okay to say, I don't understand any of these words. Um, And this document, you know, starts with things that are not covered. And I don't care about what's not covered. I care about what is covered. Please, God, somebody explain this to me. It's okay to say that, particularly in this context, because the quality of the answer that you get will help you have confidence that you're working with the right insurance professional, and I assure you, from the standpoint of someone who deals with things after they have gone sideways, it can be very important to have the right insurance professional, especially in a specialized industry such as ours. So, you know, my my takeaway is this is just scratching the surface. Oh yeah, and-
0: I, I, I in no way feel like I, I know all the answers to the mm. questions, but at least I know I have more context than I did when we started recording. And I uh, continue to add to my bucket of resources and smart friends. (laughs) So thank you again, Rochelle and Peter, for joining us. And I look forward to the next time we have a conversation like this. And everybody out there in the world, stay safe.
3: I think Um, I had some wine when I agreed to this.